0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Thank you. Be seated. Uh, if you would allow me a few moments of personal privilege, I want to begin by, before we get into the sermon, by thanking you for your love uh, for me and for my family. Uh, this week, my mom went to be home with, to be with the Lord and uh, it's been a tough week, but we have been strongly strengthened by your prayers, and by your love, and your encouragement, and by your food. That always helps. That's the way we love each other down here in the south. And uh, but thank you so much for doing that. Please continue to pray for me and my family. And uh, we we feel the Lord's strength, and we're grateful for that. So uh, also want to encourage you to please continue to pray for the church. Uh, this summer will be, I, I think, a milestone in the life of our church. Uh, The elders and the church have given me a sabbatical for this summer. Uh, So pray for me during that sabbatical. Uh, It's rest with purpose is what a sabbatical is. Uh, Right now, before I go on sabbatical, my sermon, (laughs) I'm all over the place. All right, so this Sunday, and then I've got July, uh, what is this month? May 28th, uh, and then we have June 4th, and that will finish the series in Joshua And then I will uh, begin my sabbatical this summer. Uh, Then during that time, I'm kind of going to work a plan together, submit it to the elders uh, for them to uh, walk with me through it. Uh, I'm kind of thinking a third, a third, a third. A third will be uh, more restful. A third will be spiritual union with the Lord, getting away, spending time in His Word, prayer and fasting, and seeking the Lord for myself and for the church, for the future, uh, next season of our life. And then a third will be spent... Uh, In professional development, I'm thinking more about developing me as a leader for the next season of the life. So that's where I'm thinking right now. We're going to continue to fine-tune that. But if you would just pray for me uh, during the summer for that. Also pray for those who will be coming to preach. We'll have several uh, preachers from within our church. Uh, We've got, I'm going to try to name them, uh, Jared Clary, Kevin Wilsey, they're on staff. Uh, David Hamm, who is an elder, will be preaching. David Granger. No, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to see what you thought. I wanted to see if he was in here and you would have heard him scream. He's obviously not in here right now. Uh, David Googe, Dr. David Gouge. Um We also will be having Bill Cunningham. And we also will be having uh, Kyle Jaggers, who is a church planner that was a member and a staff member that we sent out. And then also David Elston. So he was in, came through our church planning center and is developing a biblical church Uh, a biblical counseling ministry in town. So please be in prayer for them as they lead us through the image of God this summer, how we are made in the image of God, learning about God and how we can be more like Him. So keep Him in your prayers. Also, um, we are in a uh, growth phase. We are very, very blessed by the Lord who has continued to pour people into our church and we praise God for that. Uh, every ministry in our church is out of space. And so guests, if you're a guest here and and you're like, I cannot believe they're talking about this. I'm sorry, just kind of put your iPod in your ears for a minute, enjoy the music, and let me talk to our members and our regular attenders. There are many non-members who feel like this is their church home, and they ask me, how can I participate? And this is the only opportunity I have to share with you, and so please allow me to share briefly. Uh, Between now and June 11th, we're asking everyone to pray what God would have them pledge toward our church, expansion our building fund. We have basically two tracks we're looking at. A million dollar track roughly and a five million dollar track roughly. Uh five million dollars will finish the master plan that we've been biting off just pieces at a time. We built this first building, we added the, the education wing back there. We added the uh the state of the art playground, we added property on that side, we built that road and we've added the property behind us with the house and the metal buildings and we have all of that debt free. And we give God all the glory for that. And so now we're saying, all right, Lord, what do you want us to do next? And uh, a, roughly speaking, a million dollars will give us offices, which we do not have as staff. We will turn this house into offices. It will be beautifully done. And then we will build new space out here, roughly five or 6,000 square foot, connecting to those metal buildings that will provide more education space. That's roughly a million dollars when you count everything that goes with it. Then the bigger plan would be finish out the rest of the master plan, which was all the parking, the new front facade, which is beautiful, and the new worship center and convert all this to children's ministry space that would provide ministry space for the students that would provide ministry space uh, classroom space for, for adult education and all the classroom space we need for our children all the classroom space we need to provide for classical Christian school to continue to meet in our building and so we got tons of wonderful things that God is doing we're still all about God's kingdom we're still all about ministering to the to the Norris Ferry community and beyond we're still about discipleship and preaching the gospel and ministering the word of God. We don't want to be about buildings and building our kingdom. We want to be about building God's kingdom. But unless you want to sit under the trees out there in the heat, we've got to do it inside with air conditioning. And I'm open to either one. So if y'all want to go out there, that's a whole lot cheaper. We do that in South Sudan and it works quite well. So uh, either one. But the way you can let us know how to move forward with the smaller bite or the bigger bite is to go on the website uh, and click on the, the main website has a thing called pledge click on that it tells you how to do it and that's your place to tell us how you would like to contribute make a pledge we'll get back on June 11th uh, after this service in June 11th we'll just give you a report real quickly we'll say here's where we are here's our recommendation and we'll get, have have a plan to go forward from there so thank you for your uh for allowing me that that opportunity be in prayer for all of that if you will all right now I'm stepping behind the pulpit now we're going to teach the word of God all right so where are we? We are in chapter 22 of Joshua. Chapter 22 of Joshua. Where have we been? Well, if you remember, Joshua's broken into two major sections, if you will. The first half, God has given them victory over their enemies in the land. God has conquered His enemies. They are ungodly, false worshipers, child sacrificers. They were wicked people. Uh, They were not liking God, they did not want to worship God, and God said, this will be my land, I created it, I do what I want with it, this land will be to my glory. And so he had the, the ungodly people removed, he conquered his enemies. The second half of the book, the people of Israel had to take possession of their inheritance. God said, I've already done all the work, it's yours, but they had to trust God, obey God, and take possession of his glorious inheritance. And we've seen this as a picture of our salvation. God defeats the enemies of sin and Satan. And he does all the hard work. And he says, now all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are yours in Christ. But you must take possession of it through your trusting God and your obedience. Christ gives us victory over our sin and, our, and Satan. And then we experience all the blessings of rest. And all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places that are ours in Christ. As we learn to trust ...and obey God. And so we come to a concluding verse or two... ...in the end of chapter 21... ...which Jared covered last week. And it says this. This is a great summary conclusion... ...to all that we've looked at. It says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land... ...He had sworn to give to their fathers. And they possessed it. And they lived in it. And praise God. Verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side... According to all that he had sworn to their fathers. He's doing everything he promised and swore to the fathers that he would do. And not, not one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. And so those are great truths, and what we've been doing is pulling out these truths for us in our own spiritual battles, because all of us are in a spiritual battle, and it's a battle of faithfulness. As we strive to be faithful week in, week out, day in, day out, in the home, raising kids, at the workplace, when things get tough, when you're grieving, in all situations of life, we strive to be faithful. And the key to that faithfulness is knowing God is faithful. And not one of His promises will fail us. And so God wants to remind us that and equip us for our own spiritual battle of faithfulness as we look at these scriptures. Today, we're going to look at chapter 22. And in this, the whole emphasis is on the unity of God's people is grounded in the exclusive worship of God. That God's exclusive worship... He prescribes the means of worship, the one way that Israel will worship Him as the one true God, serves as the foundation, as the basis, as the the twine that binds them together and unifies them. What is it that binds us all together? It's our one access to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And the fact that we worship God through the person and work of Jesus Christ is what causes people from all places and all walks of life to come together. We say with fondness, speaking of the, the uh, the growing diversity in our church family, which brings incredible joy to our heart. Much of it is coming through adoption, which is a beautiful picture of salvation. But my family jokes about the Granger family. My daughter babysits them and we come home and we were laughing about it. And Granger laughs about it. So y'all know we're good friends. I can say this because we laugh about it. And she was saying, hey, they have got it going on. There is all kinds of stuff going on. They have, I'm going to, let's see if I get this right. They have three whites, two Asians, six chickens and two dogs. And I said, that is a picture of the family of God right there. And we see that diversity and unity and diversity in our church family as we are unified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how important it is to protect that exclusive worship of Christ, to preserve the glory of God and the unity that we enjoy as a church. The unity this church enjoys is the greatest blessing of this church. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, would you please help us To trust you exclusively. To obey you exclusively. To worship you wholeheartedly. You and only you. That we may remain unified in the spirit of God. To your great glory and to our great enjoyment. Show us how to do that this morning through this text. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so as we fight this battle of faithfulness, how can we as a church be faithful in our unified worship of God and only the one true God? Let's begin in verses 1 through 6. Here we see Joshua... After saying, All right, all that was conquered, they got all the land, Joshua turns to the two and a half tribes. Do you all remember the two and a half tribes who they are? They were on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They came into the land across the Jordan River. So they went away from their, they crossed their own land, two and a half tribes, into the rest of the land, because Moses said, I'll give you that land, but you've got to go in and fight with your brothers, and when it's all over, you can go back to your land. And so that's where we are. Joshua turns to those two and a half tribes and says, you can go back to your land. He says this, then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, you done good. He said, you've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have listened to my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given you rest. Has given rest to your brothers. He spoke to them. Therefore turn now and go to your tents. To the land of your possession which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan. So head back east on your side of the river. Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you. Listen to the wording. This is what exclusive worship looks like. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all His ways. Keep His commandments and hold fast to Him. That's translated also, cling to Him. And serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul. And so Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went to their tents. In these verses, Joshua sends the two and a half tribes back to their side of the river to take their inheritance. And as he sends them, he says, worship The Lord your God with all your heart, exclusively worship God. And what are the words used to describe that? He doesn't describe this cold, dutiful, cold religion. He doesn't say, go and and get all your chairs and line them up in rows and, and be proper and sing songs to God. He doesn't say that. He says, what exclusive worship is, it's clinging to God. It's loving Him with all your heart and soul. It's, it's being devoted to Him and keeping His words and serving Him. It is, it is something that looks very much like love and devotion and obedience that comes from that love and devotion. When we've been loved by God, when we understand how much God loves us, when you understand how much God has loved you through the person and work of Jesus Christ your response is worship it's it's wholehearted devotion it's it's clinging to him for your hope and for your security in life it's it's clinging to him it's serving him wholeheartedly it's laying your life down to do what he has said it's it's trusting him god wants us to Love Him wholeheartedly. And that's what He's talking about when He says worship. When we talk about worship today, it certainly includes this time. It includes coming together. But too many of us think of worship as a formal gathering where we put on our nice clothes and we, and we put on our best behavior and we kind of get phony and we kind of sing songs that we think we're supposed to sing and say words we're supposed to say. We put on that fake for your face and, and we do all the churchy things. Worship is clinging to Him with all your heart. Loving Him with all your soul. Serving and obeying Him because you've tasted the love that God has for you. And your response is to love Him in return. So He tells them, as you head off into your land, I want you to exclusively worship the Lord. This is what we're called to do exclusively worship the Lord God who has saved us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if we understand what he has saved us from, if we just took a day or two to go pull away and quiet and ask God, show me the sin from which you've saved me, it would deepen our worship. Show me just how much you love me, Lord. Those are the kind of things I'm going to be praying over this summer. Lord, show me who I am in Christ. We would worship Him exclusively. God has conquered Satan in your life if you're trusting in Christ. God has defeated sin in your life. He has been completely faithful to you. Every single promise has been brought to you without fail. And the only proper response is wholehearted, exclusive worship. In Joshua 22, verse 7, the story continues. He says, Now to the one and a half tribes, excuse me, now to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among their brothers on the west beyond the Jordan. So the tribe of Manasseh was split, west and east of Jordan. So when Joshua sent them on their way to their tents, he blessed them. And he said to them, "'Return to your tents with great riches "'and with very much livestock, "'with silver and gold and bronze and iron "'and with very many clothes.'" Divide the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. This is a picture of the great manifold blessings of God that we have. All the spiritual blessings of God are ours in Christ. In verse 9, it says, "...the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, returned home, and departed from the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had possessed according to the command of the Lord at Moses." At this time in the story, we expect the curtains to draw, the lights to dim. End of story. The two and a half tribes go to the east side. The rest of the tribes are on the west side. And they are a unified Israel doing what Moses told them to do. Moses gave them instructions that here's how you worship God. You worship God with all your whole heart, soul, mind and strength. You don't have any other gods before me because Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the creator of God. He's the one who saved you and redeemed you out of your slavery in Egypt. He's the one who planted you you in this land. He's the one who conquered your enemies. He's the one who has blessed you with life and all the blessings of God. And so you will worship him and him alone because all other gods are false gods. Destroy all the other idols and destroy the false altars of worship because they are a a blasphemy. They are atrocity in the land. Remove them all and worship me and me alone. And he said to unite Israel you do it at the tent of meeting. He said his glory will dwell in the tabernacle which was a portable place of worship. And as his glory dwelled, the the sinful people would come into the presence of God and they had to have a sacrifice to allow their sin in God's presence. And so God provided a beautiful sacrificial system. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice the blood of an unblemished land to cover the sin of the people. And God said, that's the place that my glory will dwell. That's the place that you as a people will come and meet me and worship me. And this will be your exclusive worship of the one true God that will unite you as a people. The lights dim, the curtains close, and they live happily ever as a unified people. Worshiping God and bringing glory to all the nations. But then, chapter 10, or verse 10, says, When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan. A large altar in appearance. So as the two and a half-tribes are heading east, right before they cross the river and get to their land, they stop and they do the unimaginable. They build a massive altar And you know, Joshua's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? You know, God said, there shall be no competing places of worship that would divide the people. There must be one place of worship, one way of coming to God. And that's at the tabernacle where the glory of God dwelled based on the sacrificial lamb of God. And here, those two and a half tribes, right before they get across the river, they stop on the western portion of of the river, on the western banks, and they build this massive altar. This is equivalent to us worshiping God here as a family unified in the blood of Jesus Christ, committed to worshiping Christ alone, and finding out someone in our church is... Gotten off into worshiping some false God, has has started introducing some other gods when and and we know this is serious business. This is not good. There is only one God. So what do they do? They take this sin very seriously. In the Pentateuch, God commanded them exactly how to worship, and they realized this is not God's will. We're going to look at how they handled this situation. And in these verses, we're going to pull out just a few helpful tips for us. How do we respond to our own people who we love, to our own family members in this church? How do we handle it when we understand there is something seriously wrong going on. Let's look how they handled it. In verse 13, it says, Then the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh into the land of Gilead. Now, every time I read this, I can't help but think of Phineas and Ferb. Y'all know Phineas and Ferb? Okay, y'all are deeply spiritual people as well. All right, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him the ten chiefs, one chief for each, father's household from each of the tribes of Israel, and each one of them was the head of his father's household among the thousands of Israel. So they gathered the leaders from each tribe, and they sent them. In verse 15, they came to the sons of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with him saying this, verse 16, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this unfaithful act which you have committed? against the God of Israel. Turning away from following the Lord this day by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day. You see, what they were thinking was there's two things that could be going on here. You've built an altar that competes with the one that God said, this is the only place you'll worship, or they're worshiping some false god. So either way, it can't be good. Verse 17, Is not the iniquity of Peor... Enough for us? So they go back to biblical examples to remind them of what happened from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day. There was a prior time where false worship and sin was in the camp and God dealt with it very seriously. He sent a plague. Although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord. Verse 18, that you must turn away this day from the following... This day from following the Lord. You would turn away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today. He will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. If however the land of your possession is unclean. Then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord. Where the Lord's tabernacle stands. Take possession among us. If it's not good over there. Then come back over here. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Or rebel against us. By building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah act unfaithfully in the things under the ban? Remember Achan's sin? And then it says, And a wrath fell upon the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So in these verses we can learn several tips on how to handle issues of serious sin that arise in the church. First of all, we should take the matter seriously. As we've already noted, it is very serious for sin to happen in a, in a life. In our culture, we tend to minimize sin. We tend to personalize sin. We tend to think it's none of our business. We tend to think that it's, it's not loving to talk about someone's sin. And I want to tell you, those are lies from Satan. Listen to me now. If you love me. And you see sin in my life. Even if you suspect sin in my life. If you love me. You will talk to me about it. If I. And trust me. I've got blind spots like crazy. We all do. And if I'm getting into sin. And you don't talk to me. And you let me go down that path. Shame on you. And that's the way it is for everybody. In the family of God. We know that sin is destructive. It's like. It's like finding out there's symptoms of a disease. And that's a hard conversation to have with someone to say, Hey, I'm seeing something. You might need to go to the doctor now that checked out. That's loving. It's hard, but it's loving to say, Hey, let's go look at the, what's underneath the symptoms here because we need to treat it and be restored to health. That's what this is talking about. When, when the church body has sin in, in the life of the body, it needs to be dealt with. Now, most of the time, this happens very naturally. Every member of our church is in a small group. 100% of our members serve and 100% of our members commit to being in a small group. That is because in that small group, friendships develop. Over a year's time, trust develops. Relational connections start to happen. And that's when it just very naturally happens that you and I become friends. And you say, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. And we start meeting together, reading the Bible together, reading a great book off the bookshelf together. And you start seeing a little more of my life. And you start seeing how I treat my wife, how I treat my kids. And you get the trust level to say, hey, I didn't want to talk to you about something I've seen. That's what friends do for each other. That's called love. That's protection. And that's where most of this happens. It doesn't usually get to this point where all the leaders get involved. But the Bible does say in Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that... By those witnesses, you can restore them. And then it says that if it continues, then you have to ultimately get the leadership involved. And that's what we see going on in the house of Israel, the people of Israel. This was a serious contradiction to God's will. And they took it seriously. And so must we. It's not loving to ignore. It's not mean-spirited. It's the most loving thing we can do for one another is to help each other stay on the path of faithfulness. So they took it serious. Number two, we see their issue was grounded in Scripture. Notice they weren't going, hey, you've offended me and I don't like your personality. You know, hey, you know, you don't think Jesus is coming back before the tribulation and you're wrong. This is, no, these are not, this is clear teachings from the word of God. This is not a personal issue, this is not a debatable issue, this is very clear. The Bible said, worship God, the one true God, and only God, and at this place. And they've erected this massive altar, and so they're saying, hey... And they go to the Scriptures, they open the Bible together and say, let's look at what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that God is the one true God, and it's offense to Him to worship any other God. And so they are basing it in Scripture... Their warnings are scriptural warnings that remember from what happened before in Achan's sin. It brought terrible tragedy and terrible consequences on him, on his family, on the church. Remember at Peor what happened. We're still dealing with issues from that. And so they're going to the word of God. It is scriptural basis. It is focused on you've broken this, this word. This is not God's will for your life. And God's will for your life is good And so we must always ground it in Scripture. We're not talking about disputable matters. Augustine was credited with the saying that in essentials, we have to have unity. In non-essentials, we we enjoy diversity. But in all things, charity, love, grace. And so the deals that we need to focus on is Jesus is the one way. There is no way of salvation except through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. On our website, under what we believe, there's a very clear statement of what we all must adhere to. The Bible is the word of God. And it points to Jesus as the only way of salvation. He's coming again in a bodily resurrection. He had a bodily resurrection. He's coming in and returning physically to gather his people unto himself. There's just a few things that we must demand of each other or we're not being faithful to God. And we want to encourage that with one another. But it also includes that everyday life of exclusively worshiping Him throughout the week. And if we know each other, if we're truly in each other's lives and we see issues arising, if we truly love each other, we'll address them. And say, hey, this is not good for you. This is a symptom of something that... that," And if if you're a believer, you will normally say hey, that stings a little bit. Thank you. Thank you for telling me the truth. And so the issues were grounded in scriptures and they handled it all very scripturally. Notice number three, they, they spoke the truth in love. They did it in love. In fact, they, they didn't come saying, what's wrong with you? Today? They said, hey, if, if there's something wrong with your land that's causing you on the east side of the river to not be able to worship God, then come join us. We'll make sacrifices for you. We want what's best for you. This is a spirit of love. I've seen this in our church. There will be sometimes in a community group, a couple doesn't regularly doesn't come to community group, and it'll go and on, and they'll try and try and try and say, hey, can we help you? Are you sick? Are you okay? And eventually they'll say, no, I just can't make it. Oh, well, let us change the night that we... I've seen a whole group who signed up for, for example, Tuesday night at 6.30, that's the night that works best for us, a couple needed that night change. I've seen a whole group change their night to accommodate them. That's what we're talking about. It's loving one another so that we can all maintain unity in our exclusive worship of Christ. So they spoke the truth in love. Finally, they listened carefully. This is probably the most important point. They listened carefully. Look at verse 21. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered. And they spoke to the heads of the family. Notice they asked questions. Hey, what's going on? And then they listened. And here's what they heard. Verse 22. The mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows. And may Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion, or if in an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if to offer a burnt offering or grain offering on it, or if to offer sacrifices of peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it. But truly, we have done this out of concern for a reason, saying, in time to come, your sons may say to our sons, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you. You sons of Reuben and sons of Gad, and you have no portion in the Lord. So your sons on the west make our sons on the east stop fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said to ourselves, well, let us build an altar... Not for burnt offering, not a competing offering, not a competing altar. Not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, our altar was to be a witness between us on the east and you on the west. Between our generations after us, that we are to perform the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons, in the time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Therefore we said, it shall come about, if they say this to us, or to our generations to come, then we shall say to them, see the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifices, rather, It's a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offering, for grain offering, or for sacrifice besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before His tabernacle. Whoa! Didn't see that coming. And that's what happens. If you get involved in someone's life, if you care enough to see something that concerns you, to get involved in your life and say, hey, tell me more about this. Shut up and listen. Because 99% of the time, you got it wrong. It's not what you expected. I can almost say with certainty, every single time I have been involved in a situation, it always is different than I expected ...or anyone else thinks what is going on. So the loving thing to do is to ask and then to listen. And listen what's really going on. Don't ask just to get that out of the way. To tell them what you think. You ask and you listen. And you listen carefully. You listen with great respect... And love and concern. And then you pray together to seek wisdom from the Lord for a path forward. And that path forward will almost always be different than you thought it was going to be. So if we do this, do it with great love, compassion. Do it biblically, asking questions with deep concern, truly wanting to hear the answers, listening well. And God will do great things. Notice what happens as a result of them getting involved and dealing with these difficult issues. In verse 30, it says that the leaders, when they heard this, it pleased them. It pleased them. And then the leaders did what they had to do. They had to do the hard, slow, patient, steady work of working through all this and then go back to their church family, to the people of God, explain to them they're not competing. It's not an alternative place of worship. It's not an alternative to false gods. This is what their intent was, is simply to maintain unity among the people for generations to come. And it says in verse 33, the word pleased the sons of Israel. It's very pleasing to have unity in the body of Christ. It is the most precious gift that we have at Norris Ferry Community Church. And then finally it says in verse 34, The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, This is a witness between us that the Lord is God. The unity that this church enjoys is a witness that the Lord is God. Because we have people from all walks of life, all races, ethnicities, social, economic classes, white collar, blue collar, ring around the collar. We got all kinds. And all of that is brought together in our exclusive worship of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to tell you, I've said it five times already. I love the sweet spirit of unity. Of Norris Ferry Community Church, I praise God for it. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the unity that we enjoy as a church family. And Lord, in the days of head ahead as we've always prayed from day one, protect that unity. Unity, not uniformity but a oneness shared that comes from a deep devotion and love and trust of Jesus. And Lord, in the days ahead, may we love each other enough to to have relationships of trust that allow us to, to watch each other's blind spots, to protect each other from getting into the ditches of life, to be kind and gracious and loving enough to to ask the hard questions and to listen carefully with sincerity and authenticity and wanting to know genuinely what's going on. To be biblically faithful, to point each other to be faithful to the Scriptures. Lord, protect the unity of this church. For it is our unity that we have in Christ, our unity in our exclusive worship of Jesus that is a witness that the Lord is God. All this to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, Please visit us online at norsverychurch.org.